But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? From the Gospel according to Matthew, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. This morning, Jesus does the most unlikely thing that anybody would possibly expect for the Messiah to do on his first day out in public. It's difficult for us to quite imagine this because for so many of us, baptism is such a feature of church life that it seems even somewhat normal, although less and less so as time goes on. We read that in those days, in the beginning of the third chapter of the the Gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Not in Jerusalem, not even in Galilee, but out in the wilderness. If you want to imagine it, just drive half an hour that way. And it is actually more populated than the wilderness of Judea. And saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is near you. Repent. For this is what he was was saying, that which had been spoken by the prophet Isaiah, that he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You may recall that Uh, The place of the people having come back from exile in Babylon was one of continued exile. An exile which had not stopped because it was not a geographic exile, it was a spiritual exile. They had lost the presence of God and they looked forward to his return in the Messiah, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, John says. And he comes in the most unlikely of clothing. He wears camel's hair, a leather rope belt around his waist, and he eats locusts and wild honey. A wild man, of course. But if you read a little bit more about John the Baptist, you will find that he is not just the greatest of the prophets, not just the greatest, as Jesus says clearly, but a priest of priests. His father was a Levite. His mother was a daughter of Aaron. And where is he? Not in Jerusalem, in the wilderness of Judea, preaching not sacrifice, not temple observance, Not ritual cleanliness, but what? Repentance. And we read that coming out to him came Jerusalem. In fact, it says all Jerusalem, all Judea, and the region round about the Jordan. This includes not only those areas on on either bank of the Jordan, but also Galilee as well, which is also mostly on the Jordan. And they were baptized by him there in that water. And the most shocking thing of all is not just that they were baptized, but that they were confessing their sins. 
We know from many other places that this kind of baptism was often accompanied. Baptism was actually very common. What was not so common was this confessing of sin to take place. They are confessing their sins publicly and audibly there in the Jordan. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to his baptism, now think about this for a moment, why would a Pharisee need to be baptized? Pharisees certainly underwent many, many, many ritual washings, which were not of a moral content, but of a ritual content. Pharisees, after all, believed they needed no repentance because they had no sin, if they were doing it right. And the Sadducees, you may remember, if you know this, they did not proclaim moral purity, but ritual purity to the core. You must offer this sacrifice or that. You must take this bath or that. And there they are, not in Jerusalem, their home, but in the Jordan. And John's response is this to those sinners who have also come to be baptized. Oh, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And he says this, bring forth therefore fruits fit for repentance. We often forget this, that repentance is not merely turning away from sin, but turning away from the life of sin to the life of God's righteousness, to a life of good fruit bearing, to a life that is new. It seems that the Pharisees had rid themselves of sin, perhaps, but What was the problem, the greater problem? They did not bear fruit. They flee only from wrath, but do not flee to God's goodness. The Sadducees, in like manner, flee from the pollutions of the world, flee from ritual impurity, but do not flee from much else. He says, do not think to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up stones, from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. It's just to say that these can no longer trust in their family backgrounds either. As a parish priest, I've often had people who've come to me on a Sunday morning and say, I want you to know that my family's worshipped in this church for five generations. And with everything in my breath, I want to say this. From these stones, God can raise up children to Abraham. He says, now the the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree which does not bear good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. If people come to John's baptism, expecting simply to be done with the life of sin, and that's it. They have come, and they will be disappointed. John is after good fruit, the fruit of good works, the fruit of a changed heart, the fruit of a new life. And here's what he finishes with. I baptize you with water unto repentance. So far, so good. But he that comes after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. 
he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Not only to be cleansed, but to burn with love. Not only to turn away from sin, but indeed to be indwelt by God. That is a message which probably goes a bit too far by anyone's standards, does it not? It's fine to say, and it's often fine to say, leave the life of sin. It's quite another to say, turn to new life in God. And so John continues by saying he will purge his threshing floor. He will burn up that which is not good fruit, that which is not useful. He will gather the wheat into the garner, or this is old language, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then came Jesus. If you can imagine it for a moment, that is the problem, is it not? That's the problem for the whole nation at this point. The Jews had gotten in the previous 600 years quite good at repentance, quite good at turning away from sin. What they had not yet got was out of exile. They had lost, they had literally lost God. He no longer indwelt their temple, no longer was the object of their worship even. And John has put his finger on it, has he not? And Jesus comes, returns to his people there in the Jordan. Not to the temple, not even to Mount Sinai, but to the Jordan, that place where the Israelites had crossed over into new land, God's land, a land of promise so many centuries before. And when they emerged, they became a new nation. And all John says to Jesus is simply this, I need to be baptized by you, and you come to me? It is to say that even the greatest of all, the greatest man who ever lived, according to Jesus' own words, needs to be baptized, needs a new life, needs the new life of grace. And Jesus does the most unexpected thing that no one would have ever expected of a would-be Messiah. He says, let it be so for now, to fulfill all righteousness. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up out of the water, and the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove, landing on his head and a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased.
Jesus who has no need for repentance, no need to be cleansed of sin, who enjoys the fellowship of the Father from all time and forever, identifies with sinners. And in so doing, he bears up a burden that only he can bear. He bears it now, and he will bear it on the cross as well. Indeed, in the Gospel of Mark, when uh, two disciples, James and John, come up to him and say, Lord, can we be seated on your right hand and your left when you come into glory? What does he say? Remember this? Can you drink the drink that I drink? Can you be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? He says. And he begins to speak of his own death as a baptism. He begins to speak of that offering upon the cross as a baptism. He dies. And you know the rest of the story. And three days later, he rises from the dead. There in the Jordan, he dies. He identifies with sinners. And he rises up from the water. And just for a moment, you have that glimpse of what the whole plan is. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. He shows us a kind of life unimaginable to us apart from grace. We can imagine the turning from sin. We cannot imagine, cannot even begin to imagine the new life of grace. And yet he shows it right there. This would be all well and good if it were not for the fact that for you and for me, who have been baptized in a baptism greater than that of John, if we were not joined to a similar death and to a similar resurrection. This is, of course, the teaching of St. Paul. Do you not know that as many of you are baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized also into his death? He says, if you've been buried with him in a death like his, you will certainly be raised in a resurrection like his. It is to say that for the Christian, the baptism of Jesus is not just some historical event, but indeed an event which subsumes all of history under one heading namely, under Christ. Indeed, the ancient church had struggles with the baptism of Jesus. They wondered, how on earth can we explain this to people? We get baptized because we have sin. Jesus had no sin. Why was he baptized? We get baptized because we need God, and Jesus doesn't need God. Why does he get baptized? And several answers were offered many of them quite interesting. But the one I want to say today is that of St. John Chrysostom, who says that when he goes down into the waters, he cleanses all waters. Such that when you and I were baptized, we weren't baptized in different water, were we? 
baptized in the very water which Jesus cleanses in his baptism. Baptized into the very water which gives the forgiveness of sins, which gives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so today we remember that fact about ourselves. I am baptized. That I have been put to death. That I have been raised to new life. Not because of my goodness. Not because of my own inherent worth. But because I worship, praise, and adore the Lord Jesus Christ who loved me and gave himself up for me. I wrote to you this past week that Epiphany is largely about repentance in the face of Jesus. To come to the knowledge and the realization that everything we do, everything we can do on our own is nothing before this outpouring of divine love in Jesus. There in, the baptism, there in his baptism, there in the Jordan, Jesus outpours his own life into the waters. The water can't give him anything that he doesn't already have. He puts his life into ours. He puts his life into our world, his presence into our world, so that we may no longer live as strangers or exiles but as beloved children. Into that very water, you also were baptized. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.